Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest Split the Difference podcast, which explores divergence between the EU and UK regulatory regimes in the market space. My name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge, and today I'm joined by Hannah Meakin and Albert Weatherall, Financial Services Partners in our London office, Florida Nagelkirk, a Financial Services Partner in our Amsterdam office, and Anna Carrier, a legal consultant in our Financial Services Regulatory and Government Relations Practice in Brussels. Today, my colleagues will be discussing crypto asset regulation, a particularly hot topic in light of various events last year. Whether you think they deserve to be seen as a new asset class or not, many people trade crypto assets and an ecosystem of market infrastructure and service providers has developed, much of which is the focus of the reforms in various jurisdictions. Today, we want to explore some of the market's dimensions of the changes that are underway in the UK and EU. So let's start off with a reminder of where we are in the process of developing a legislative regime for crypto assets for each of the EU and UK. Anna, perhaps you can go first and provide an update on the EU side. Sure. Thank you, Simon. So yes, in Europe, we are nearly there. So the land, the, the key piece of legislation, markets and crypto assets regulation, or MICA, as it, it is commonly known, has been agreed in principle by the co-legislators and by the um, European Commission already last year, but it is still pending formal approvals by both the European Parliament and the Council. And we expect the plenary vote in the Parliament to take place in April, then the formal Council approvals should follow very shortly. So if all goes well, um, the final legislation should be published in the EU official journal before the summer break. And then Mika will apply 18 months after the date of entry into force. So um, certain provisions will be applicable earlier, specifically those um, related to stable coins. But um, Mika publication in the official journal will not finish the process. As we all know, there is usually um, with the European um, financial services legislation, a whole set of secondary technical uh, measures that have to be developed. And this is also the case with Mika. So this work is already um, partially started. The commission um, uh, sent in early January, a request to the European Banking Authority for technical advice on some of the delegated acts that um, will have to be developed, but there will be more of that in the course of this year. Thanks, Anna. Albert, could you cover the UK side for us, please? Sure thing. So we've had a system evolving in the UK for you know a couple of years now, where through um, 2021 and a bit of last year as well, there was some consultation by Treasury as to the first step in the enhancement of regulation related to crypto assets, and that pertained to fiat-backed stablecoins used as a means of payment. And, and since then, uh, recently as of 1st of Feb, we had the launch of another sort of consultation, corporate evidence, uh, really quite broad ranging on what the Treasury considers stage two of our regime. Uh, and, and that effectively involves expanding our financial service and markets regime and also building on elements of the designated activities regime that's grounded in the financial services and markets bill currently making its way through the House of Lords to, to create uh, you know, a much expanded regulatory perimeter as it applies to a wide variety of crypto assets. So we don't necessarily have definitive measures at this stage. The, the, these are a series of proposals that the industry is, uh, the views of the industry are sought by Treasury. But it is clear that a lot of thinking has gone in to these measures. And what we can see is a really significant expansion 
in the scope of our regulatory regime as it pertains to crypto assets. And you know, as Anna says, timing for us is perhaps less clear. Uh, you know, we, we're not, as I say, we, we these aren't sort of legislative measures. They haven't been formally approved. They have, you know, legislation hasn't been play, uh, laid forward yet. All the rules of the FCA haven't been amended to reflect these measures, but you know we expect to see over the course of 2023, uh, you know, greater crystallisation of exactly where we're going in terms of the substance of these provisions. Uh, so you know this is the sort of outset of, of, of that secondary stage, uh, and I think we're going to see a significant um, expansion in that regime as we know more over the course of this year. Thanks, Albert. Uh, if I can now draw Claudia and Hannah in. Um, before we get into some of the market-specific areas, can you describe some of the main similarities and differences between the EU and UK approaches? And perhaps, Hannah, if you could go first from the UK side. Yes, of course. Um, so I think you know, th th there are a number of differences between the two um, regimes, or at least the proposals for the UK regime. Um, as against the slightly more developed European regime. And some of those differences will obviously only become more apparent when we see the, the detail later on. But um, in terms of the kind of the really obvious ones for the moment, I mean, first of all, the UK has chosen not to create a standalone regime for crypto assets, but rather to extend our existing regulatory regime to encompass um, various activities when performed in relation to crypto assets. And I think that's a really important point that the focus is very much on the activities. Um, we're, so we're looking at authorization being required where people carry on the relevant activities um, that will be set out in, I think, a combination of the regulated activities order and the new designated activities regime, but where they're done in relation to crypto assets. And it's going to be a fairly, looks like it's going to be a fairly broad range of crypto assets but not necessarily the same ones in relation to each activity so that that's detail that will come later on um, but those activities also i think are, are very broad and slightly broader than than what is covered by mika um, so to give an example it, it includes activities like operating a crypto lending platform and potentially other activities around borrowing and leverage and then um, i guess the other important point to to flag on potential differences is that although in the UK we're going to be using kind of our existing structures as the basis for this extended regime, that doesn't necessarily mean that existing rules that are applicable to traditional assets will apply in the same way as they in the same way for, for crypto assets. Um, so, for example, HM Treasury in the consultation paper has given various clues about how they think they might adapt the traditional rules to better reflect the specificities of, of crypto assets. Um, so it certainly doesn't look like it's going to be a one size fits all um, in terms of same rules for um, all the activities or same rules as for the traditional uh, uh, the tr traditional versions. Um, and it also doesn't look like the rules are necessarily going to be based on even what we expect but what we've become used to in terms of, of MIFID activities. Um, so for example, they actually say that crypto assets won't be treated as financial instruments. And that's specifically to avoid uh, kind of retrofitting an existing regime to a new asset class, which clearly has unique features and risks. Roger from the EU side. Yeah, I think I think just maybe just a small comment uh, to add. So, for instance, the uh, NFTs currently are exempted under Mika, 
uh, but there's already a, a reference to it that there might be a review of, of that uh, uh, within uh, 18 months after uh, uh, Mika coming into force. So it, it could be that that will be reconsidered and that it will come, if, uh, come under Mika or in, in different legislative uh, rules uh, sets. So it, it's just to be seen whether the differences that are currently there will remain uh, to be in place. Okay, thanks both. Um, Anna Albert, if I, I could come back to you now for the next question. Uh, like exchanges, crypto custodians have already been the subject of the first wave of regulation across the EU and UK, at least in terms of anti-money laundering requirements. What changes will they face under these new regimes? Perhaps, Anna, if you could go first. Sure, no problem, Simon. So perhaps just worth flagging for completeness that this new European regime for markets and crypto assets will not change the existing AML rules for crypto custodians as they are set out in the um, uh, MLD5, which is also currently um, subject to an ongoing review and reform. But in respect of MECA requirements for crypto asset custody and administration services, this will be one of the types of crypto asset services that will be regulated under MECA. And this means that persons seeking to provide such services will need to obtain prior authorization from a national competent authority. Providers of all types of services and crypto assets, including custody, will be subject to a range of requirements covering organizational disclosure rules, um, rules regard, um, regarding safekeeping of client funds and outsourcing, contact rules, as well as prudential um, requirements. And it, in addition to compliance with those general requirements that will be applicable, as I said, across the board to providers of all types of services and crypto assets, persons that will be um, looking to provide crypto assets custody and administration service will have to enter into an agreement with their clients to specify their duties and responsibilities. They also need to establish a register of positions, a custody policy and report regularly to the clients with a statement of positions of crypto assets recorded in the name of those clients. Crypto asset custodians will um, have to also have to comply with the relevant segregation rules. And um, finally, um, important to note is that Mika also prescribes additional liability rules for crypto asset custodians, and they will be liable to their clients for the loss of any crypto assets in the means, um, or the means of access to the crypto assets um, capped at the market value of the of the crypto asset lost. Thanks, Anna. Albert, the UK side. So, so it's not entirely dissimilar to, to that as laid down under Mika. So like under Mika, uh, we, the, the expansion of the sort of definition of a specified investment to crypto assets means that persons who are safeguarding and administering assets that performing that regulated activity in relation to crypto, they will need to seek authorization with the FCA. Uh, there will be an array of different requirements that will come with that, prudential requirements, ongoing conduct of business requirements, governance, et cetera. Uh, but specifically for, for crypto custodians, they'll also be subject to you know, what, what we don't have visibility on yet, but which we know is coming, which will be an amended sort of more tailored version of the FCA's client assets source book. So sort of chapter six of that relating to safeguarding, is likely to be adapted uh, to try to seek to impose an array of kind of reconciliation, safeguarding, um, you know, communication and, and disclosure uh, and, uh, and other arrangements onto crypto custodians with relation to the assets that they hold. I think it's worth noting as well that Treasury, the Treasury measures envisage that you know, this, this would address persons who are, who are holding the assets themselves, but also persons who are 
uh, custodying the access to those assets. So it would be the private keys. So, you know, the sheer fact that you hold a private key doesn't necessarily exempt you from that process. And I think that's aligned with the, the custodian wallet provider definition we currently have in the money laundering regulations. So the custodians, the direction of travel will be, you know, they will need to continue to comply with the financial crime arrangements and the money laundering regs, but they'll no longer seek registration as custodian wallet providers. Rather, they will need to seek permission as authorised firms to perform these activities and then have to comply with all of the arrangements that come you know, with that consequence. Thanks, Albert. Okay, let's move back to Fraudra and Hannah now for the next question. A key feature of the crypto market is the number of so-called crypto exchanges or other service providers, which enable both consumers and companies to buy and sell crypto assets. How will they be impacted by these changes? Perhaps, Fraudra, you could go first? Yes. Of course. Now, so Mika is indeed going to regulate uh, those that operate a trading platform for crypto assets because it is defined as one of the crypto asset services uh, under Mika. And that means that they would need to obtain a license uh, and that they would need to comply with uh, consumer protection and disclosure requirements. Also, in addition there uh, to that, there are governance uh, structures and information security systems must be in order. So there are rules for that and they must detect and uh, uh, have a say appropriate um, system in place in, in, in relation to conflict of interest. They have to have a complaints procedure and provisions on outsourcing. So there, there's quite a number of rules that would need to be applied uh, or complied with. Um, also, and I think that is, we, we will touch upon that a bit later, there, there, they need, would need to have in place uh, effective systems and procedures in relation to uh, detecting market manipulation. Um, but in addition to that, again, uh, a lot of rules that will apply to them because they need to have training rules that uh, uh, apply for trading on the platform. Uh, they will not be able to deal on their own account on the trading platform that they are operating. Um, they have to comply with rules in relation to operational resilience. Um, and there are, uh, just like under MIFID, there will be pre and post-trade transparency provisions. Um, and there are even rules in relation to their fee structures. Um, but I think also just uh, something to note uh, of interest, because before admitting uh, crypto assets to trading, they would need to uh, ensure that the crypto asset complies with the operating rules of the trading platform, but also assess the suitability of the crypto asset concerned. So that is quite a uh, large task, I think. Um, uh, so that is uh, would be interesting uh, to see how, um, how everyone would um, well have to comply with that. Thanks, Florja. Hannah, the UK position? Yeah, so in the UK, um, operating a trading venue for crypto assets is looks like it will also be one of the uh, regulated activities. Um, and this really reflects the central role that they uh, that those types of exchanges play in the ecosystem um, and is really seen as being key to achieving the UK regulatory objectives of ensuring orderly, open and resilient conditions for uh, trading generally. Um, so one of the things that um, in, in the UK is not uh, determined at the moment is exactly the situations in which you will be required to both, both be authorised in the UK, but actually um, set up your, have an entity that's actually located in the UK in order to do that. But for uh, crypto asset exchanges and trading venues, it looks like the, that is the expectation that you will actually have to have a UK subsidiary in order to do that. Um, in terms of uh, the types of rules that would apply, um, I think similar to Mika, 
um, we would be expecting that most of the um, the rules that that apply to existing uh, traditional exchanges and trading venues um, that deal with things like fair access uh, and operating rules and also transparency of pricing and the provision of market data would also apply in relation to crypto asset exchanges. Um, and that's really to, uh, to, to ensure those objectives that I just mentioned. But there's definitely also a recognition that there are some um, that there may need to be adjustments made to certain rules or additional rules applied to reflect the specific characteristics and risks of crypto asset trading, um, trading venues and activities that might not be quite the same as for traditional assets. So, for example, the uh, the consultation paper talks about a an increased focus on cyber security risks and also risks arising from conflicts of interest, which might uh, might exist in a slightly different way in the crypto asset industry. Um, so, for example, we often find that the crypto asset exchanges provide a range of services, including, for example, proprietary trading or market making, um, custody and certain post trade activities. And one of the things that the government seems to be considering further is the extent to which some of the existing uh, controls we have for traditional exchanges in terms of how they can combine different activities, um, exactly how those would be applied in relation to crypto asset exchanges. So that that part of the detail um, hasn't yet been uh, made public. Um, but I think that will be really interesting to keep an eye on those essentially those kind of uh, constraints. Um, on operating a crypto asset exchange. Thanks, Anna. Certainly something to keep an eye on. Anna, Albert, uh, if I could direct my next question to you. Uh, the requirements around issuance and listing go hand in hand with trading. How are the regulators approaching the regulation of these processes? Anna, perhaps you could kick off. Sure. So um, Mika will set out a um, harmonized framework for the um, uh, purpose of issuance, offering to the public and listing at crypto asset trading venues of various types of crypto assets, and this being um, regular crypto assets as well as stable coins. So there will be different sets of um, requirements that will apply um, depending on the type of a crypto asset concerned. So for the regular um, crypto assets, this, um, this will include an obligation to publish a white paper containing a detailed description of the plant crypto asset offering or admission request of admission to trading and no person will be able to offer crypto assets to the public in in the EU or seek their admission to trading on a trading platform for crypto assets unless it is a legal person but the co-legislators decided to abandon this I think much debated in EU location requirement in that respect so um, Mika also sets out requirements applicable to marketing communications relating to the um, offering of crypto assets and admission of such a crypto assets to trading, as well as contact rules for crypto asset issuers. So though there will also be a liability rules for the provision of false, misleading or incomplete information in the white paper and marketing communications. Um, but in respect of um, stable coins, um, this within um, the Mika regime being um, uh, asset reference tokens and e-money tokens, Mika distinguishes um, between standard stable coins and those that will be deemed significant and subject to much uh, more stringent requirements. So that's um, uh, there will be even more um, uh, required of, 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 of those issuers of such a coins. But in the very high level terms, issuance of stable coins will um, require prior authorization. Uh, by a national content authority, and then depending on the type of the stable coin, this could be either 
MICA type authorization or an authorization as a credit institution or electronic money institution. Um, so in respect of the credit institution seeking to issue stable coins, MICA also sets out separate set of requirements applicable um, alongside the relevant sector legislation and the, and the issuers of such, a, of such crypto assets will also be subject to general conduct rules, market communications, governance, organization, prudential requirements, um, including an obligation to have a reserve of assets and rules regarding um, management and, and the custody thereof. Thanks, Anna. Albert, the UK approach? So, so we're taking a slightly different approach. So what the UK is trying to do is differentiate between offers of crypto assets and then also admission of crypto assets to trading on a trading venue. So from a public offer standpoint, the, the Treasury's view is that many, many offers, of public offers of um, crypto assets, including the sort of common issue, the initial coin offering, which are less popular than they used to be, but where, where effectively you create new tokens and you sell them, you know, many of those in their view may meet the definition of a security offering. And so as a result of that, they, they, they see the, the new public offers and admissions to trading regime that we are implementing, which tries to streamline generally our public offer, you know, prospectus regulation type regime here in the UK, uh, could well be the relevant regulatory avenue to regulate such offerings. Now, for offerings that don't necessarily fall in that space, they're looking potentially at using the sort of designated activity regime as a, as a methodology of perhaps prohibiting or otherwise adding some requirements to public offers of crypto assets that aren't sort of falling neatly into the public offers and admissions to trading regime. Um, just taking away from the offer, the admission to trading. So the SCA, sorry, the Treasury intends to adapt the sort of existing requirements on trading venues uh, that we see you know, in, in the traditional finance world for admission to trading of assets. Uh, and adapt those to crypto assets. So there's expected to be, you know, requirements on the venues with respect to, you know, assessment of issuers, assessment of entities that are seeking admission to trading, uh, various kind of disclosure requirements and other diligence uh, activities that must be undertaken before that crypto asset can be admitted to trading on a venue. And uh, interestingly, uh, you know, Treasury sort of clarified you know, what's clear in this space is many of these crypto assets that would be admitted to trading are actually decentralized. There isn't a centralized issuing authority. No one party controls the supply, et cetera. So in that scenario, Treasury is looking again to the venues to try to sort of assume the obligations of the relevant issuer in terms of assessing whether or not, you know, the coin, the crypto assets can be admitted to trading. So, you know, to, to sort of build on Hannah's point around sort of the existing suite of proposed requirements on a venue, the public offer regime also, the admission to trading regime also leans fairly heavily on the operators of trading venues to try to help with the compliance burden that arises from, from those requirements. So there's certainly, you know, even more for, you know, operators of venues and others in the market to unpack in connection, you know, with issuances, offers and admittance to trading of crypto assets. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Anna. Uh, moving back now to Florida and Hannah. Um, given that crypto asset regulation started with anti-money laundering, some might say it's about time there were standards relating to market abuse. I know the new regimes make provisions for this, but can you tell us a little bit more? Florida, perhaps you could start? Yeah, sure. So, no, indeed. So, AMICA uh, now includes a set of market abuse rules, uh, which are modeled uh, after the existing rules for the traditional capital market under the under the MAR, under the market abuse regulation. 
So this means that Mika will include a duty or does include a, a duty of issuers and offers and persons seeking the admission of trading to disclose inside information and the prohibition of insider dealing and the unlawful disclosure of inside information and the market uh, manipulation, as well as rules for the prevention and detection of the market abuse. So in principle, similar to what we have currently uh, for uh, Undermar. Um, these rules could potentially apply worldwide with regard to the crypto assets that are admitted to trading on a trading platform uh, here in, in the EU um, or for which a respective request to be traded has been made, um, irrespective of whether the action or omission actually takes place on the, on the trading platform itself. However, for proportionality reasons, they currently have decided not to transfer the full set uh, of rules that we uh, that we currently know uh, from our to the crypto market as to avoid uh, sort of maybe already suffocating it in its early stages. So it will be interesting to see how that will develop, but notably, which is also in contrast of what we currently have in place, um, they have decided uh, so far that not to make it compulsory uh, that intentional and serious offenses of insider dealing, the unlawful disclosure and market manipulation on Amica will be punished as criminal offenses. So that's up to the uh, individual member states to decide whether or not they will do so. So it will be interesting to see how um, how they will do that. Thanks, Florja. Hannah, the UK position? Yeah, well, um, the UK uh, government you know, also believes there's a strong case for developing a market abuse regime for crypto assets, uh, despite um, identifying, uh, acknowledging a number of challenges that arise from the, the way that the crypto markets have developed and, and the I guess the nature of, of those that use them um, but they also uh, see that maybe actually that the technology um, could, and the innovations in this market could actually be helpful in facilitating different ways of um, potentially identifying and detecting and preventing even um, the the kind of I guess new variations of market abuse that exist in these markets so there's um, that there's there's some challenges, but there's also I think some uh, hope that there may be a way to to do this. But but equally an acknowledgement that it it probably will take some time to um, develop a full regime um, and and get it completely right. Um, but for present purposes, the the focus appears to be on kind of thinking about the balance of responsibilities between what the exchanges should be doing and what the uh, what the the authorities should be doing. Um, probably primarily the FCA. Um, so the current proposal is that the kind of primary responsibility for that prevention, detection and disrupting market abuse on the exchanges should sit with the operators. Um, and actually, it might be that uh, there would be an expectation for different exchange operators to be communicating, sharing information with each other um, where appropriate to be to be helping with that process. And then for the FCA to be responsible for supervising those trading venues um, and also other intermediaries to ensure that they have the appropriate systems and controls to support uh, th th this entire effort. So um, I think the, the it's kind of interesting, actually, because the paper acknowledges that what, what's being proposed here is not likely to achieve the same level of market integrity or consumer protection as uh, the existing um, market abuse regime we have for traditional markets and therefore this is kind of an, an example, one of the few examples of where we might not even be aiming for same risk, same regulatory outcome at the moment, 
but they certainly think that it is important to be making a start to getting towards that that ultimate goal. Thanks, Hannah. Uh, my last question is for everyone. I know there's a lot more in these new regimes than we've had time to cover, so I'm going to open the floor to give everyone an opportunity to mention one other thing they think it's important from a market's perspective. I, I may just, I think, I think an important sort of point on comparison just relates to the methodology of implementation and and sort of some of the time frames. So under as Anna touched on earlier on, there's there's quite a clear sort of transitional period uh, under Mika in a way that we we currently don't have in the HMT proposal. So there is a potential risk that you know existing providers who've already got a crypto asset registration face a, a, a cliff edge by which they must be authorized otherwise they'll have to cease performing activities they were previously registered and could lawfully perform uh, and and so uh, you know that's certainly something we would expect to see come out you know from the industry in, in the responses to this pushing for some sort of transitional there's also no real grandfathering mechanics so mika provides an ability for investment firms and credit institutions to give 40 days prior notice to the relevant competent authority that they intend to, to perform certain crypto asset service provider activities utilizing that existing license. And they therefore don't have to go through the entire separate proposal. Treasury proposals are quite clear that you know, if you already have an authorization, you need to get a variation of permission. And if you already have a registration under the crypto asset service provider regime here in the UK, that you can't roll that into a, 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 you know, a FISMA authorization, you can't roll that into part for a permission. So, so th I think that's an important step because, you know, it seems at least from the outward side that there's potentially a bit more flexibility on the Mika side for, you know, uh, existing firms. Whereas in the UK, it, it feels like we're going to have more people push through into a part for a permission cycle. And it'll be interesting to see whether there is any flex on that as the measures sort of go through consultation and, and, and Treasury takes feedback from the industry. Um, I'm happy to, to add something next. The, um, I mean, one of the things that I guess is uh, noticeable is that the, I think both Mika and the UK regime is really focusing on the kind of the trading type activities. Um, in terms of, of market infrastructure, as opposed to the kind of the post-trade type activities, um, and obviously the post-trade activities are really important. And actually, there's there's kind of huge scope for um, certainly using some of the underlying technology to um, improve those for both traditional and crypto asset classes. But um, I think there is kind of a reason for that, which is that um, we certainly from the UK side, the um, although there is an overlap with uh, those kind of post-trade activities and the regulated activities order, they, the post-trade activities do have their own kind of relatively um, special uh, specialised regimes. And so I think they are um, almost kind of being dealt with a little bit separately. But also we have, I think, both in, in the EU, the, the DLT pilot regime, and in the UK, the FMI sandbox, um, which are you know, obviously coming into effect uh, during the course of this year. And so I think there is um, a, an intention to uh, essentially kind of do a bit of experimentation in this area to, to let um, uh, market participants uh, use their different types of technology um, in relation to different asset classes and see and essentially kind of see where that takes us for the future. So I think the important point is that post-trade hasn't been forgotten. Um, it's just that it's being, um, I guess, kind of looked at in a slightly different way and maybe on a slightly longer time frame.
So perhaps if I could maybe um, add also something on the European side and slightly diverging from, from MECAN regulation, but um, I think it is worth mentioning and that's the um, recently launched a European blockchain regulatory sandbox for innovative use cases involving DLT. And the sandbox is running from, um, from this year, so the 2023 and through to 2026. And the intention is that it will annually support around 20, 20 projects, including public sector use cases on the European blockchain services infrastructure. So projects will be chosen through calls for expression of interest. The first call is um, open until the 14th of April this year. And really, um, as, as it is with the sandbox, is the goal of the European blockchain regulatory sandbox is to facilitate a cross-border dialogue um, uh, with and between regulators and supervisors on one hand, and then companies and public authorities um, on the other hand. And in these dialogues, um, the, the, the use case developers can present their business case to receive legal guidance from regulators. Um, the, the sandbox is open to um, companies from all um, industry sectors and public entities for projects beyond proof of concepts stage and um, those that are already close, um, close to market or in very early stages of being operational. So interesting development and it's certainly for some of those new um, technologies and new concepts um, using the DLT um, technology and perhaps also around um, post-trade that, that Hannah mentioned. Um, so something to perhaps participate in or at least um, keep an eye out. Okay, um, my thanks to everyone for sharing their thoughts today. Also on our website, listeners will find a number of helpful online briefing notes on both Mika and HM Treasury's proposal, and our most recent note compares the regimes. Also, don't forget, previous Split the Difference podcasts can be found on our website too, and we will continue to track developments in this area on our Regulation Tomorrow blog. That concludes this podcast. Many thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>